Well, you're our, welcome. You're our first guest aboard the U. Should we call it the USS Tekawitha? Tekawitha. <laughs> the United States ship. United I did States ask for permission to come aboard. Yeah, that's right. Well, <clears throat> well, welcome. This is John Free and Helen Free, and we are here. Uh, our podcast, which we have titled "Hands to the Plow," after that passage from St. Luke's Gospel. Uh, Hands to the plow because uh, we're involved in a new venture, the founding of Katiri College of the Liberal and Practical Arts. Hands to the plow also because of the importance in our mind of of manual work. Um, Recently on Dallas Jenkins' great program, The The Chosen, uh, there's a scene where the character of Jesus is found uh, beneath a, a wagon fixing an axle. And Peter comes along, the character of Peter, and says, Rabbi, you, you, you don't have to fix this. We have other people who can do it. And the character of Jesus responds, no, no, I need, I need to work with my hands. It uh, keeps me from thinking too much about things. And uh, theologically, of course, that, that might be problematic. But the point is that uh, we are body and soul, mind and heart, and uh, Education, higher education, in our experience in recent decades, has made that uh, unfortunate divorce between hand and mind, between manual work and intellectual work. And one of the goals of Kateri College is to reunite those aspects of the human condition. So we're very happy in on one of our early podcasts to have with us our our great friend and supporter, Bishop Bishop James Wall of Gallup, New Mexico, and um, welcome, welcome to our podcast. Bishop Thank you, Wall. thanks thanks for having me, and thanks for having me aboard the uh, USS Tekawitha. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we should tell people that we're recording in our new missionary vessel, which is our motorhome for the next year or two, which we have named Tekawitha. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I was thinking back when we first met Bishop Wall one of our first meetings we were teaching at Wyoming Catholic College and uh, we had coaxed Bishop Wall to come up and give uh, was it the mass of the begin- opening of the academic year? I think it was, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we of course wanted to make him feel at home in small town Lander, Wyoming, six 6,000 people and there aren't that many hotels and we said we'll, we'll find you a nice hotel and I, uh, I knew we, we hit it off right away because Bishop Wall says, I'm tired of staying in hotels. I'd just rather stay with a family. And so that was the beginning of a great friendship. I still have the visual memory of our young Joseph uh, sitting on Bishop Wall's lap playing with his turquoise pectoral cross. And we have a great... And taking a bite out of it. Taking a bite out of it. So that's great. Well, I thought we could talk a little bit today about <clears throat> about higher education, about some of the problems in education, both secondary and college level, and then talk more specifically about the needs of Gallup in, in that area. And uh, I know you, you've prayed and thought about education uh, deeply, and um, uh, not just here locally, but, but nationally. And you were also involved, still are involved, on the a committee for Native Americans? Yeah, the Subcommittee for Native American Affairs. Yeah, right. So I'm still involved with that, and which makes sense for me because we're our diocese, we have the largest percentage of Native Americans of any diocese in the U.S. Mm-hmm. They call Gallup the Indian capital of the world. 
So even more so, despite Oklahoma's claim, more so than Oklahoma. More so, much more yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> and we're surrounded. We have um, uh, the Navajo to the northwest, and then um, we have the Acoma peoples and the Zuni and the Hopi. Laguna. Apache. Apache. Yeah. White Mountain Apache. Uh huh. Hopi Zuni. Yeah. We have so we have seven in our diocese. We have seven Native American tribes. Wow. How many people does that encompass? That is a good question. <laughs> I know the the Navajo. I think the Navajo nations are somewhere around four hundred thousand. I think mm -hmm. that's, and and that's probably uh, my guess is that's the members of the nation. So you have people that live on the res and people who live off. Mm -hmm. And even in the U.S., you have more people, more Native American peoples that live in the urban centers than they do on the reservations. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's 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 a it's a hard number. So it's probably it's gonna popular term it's quite fluid it goes back and forth mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, so I don't know exactly I know in our diocese that we have about uh, anywhere depending on what what statistic you look at we have anywhere from 62 to 107,000 Catholics which isn't a very good statistic <laughs> and uh, we, but uh, we, we took the government statistics and somehow we have anywhere yeah so I don't I don't remember when we had the first, back in 2012, was 100 or 62, and then our recent statistics said 107, and, and I don't think I brought that many people into the church. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of statistics, is Gallup the poorest diocese in the United States? We are, and, and I'll have a few bishops that will argue with me on that <laughs> one, but I've, I've looked at financials. I used to be on the Catholic Home Missions, and we look at financials of poorer dioceses, and I've seen them all. Mm. And uh, we're we're number one easily. Mm. Yeah, I ask that because it's one of the one of the reasons we wanted to come to Gallup to to found Kateri College is because we want it to be a, a to have a missionary college yep. with a, a well to develop a missionary heart in the students. And we have always loved New Mexico, northern New Mexico, and we first thought about the Santa Fe area as a college simply because St. Catherine Drexel had her college that now is closed in Santa Fe. And that, this is for a later podcast, but it's one of the reasons why John and I first began thinking about a Catholic college in New Mexico. And I think, I think though, back in 2013 or 14, we broached the subject with you mm -hmm. about a college in New Mexico. Yeah. And you had said that there was no Catholic college in the state. Um, but as we began to continue to pray and develop the idea, the more we really wanted it to be in a, uh, a poor, out-of-the-way uh, place of the world as a way to both bring students and really shake them out of a type of secular narcissism, secular complacency, and into a real vision of how do I serve the church, how do I serve the country, and obviously the best way to, to serve is to come to a place that needs needs some service. It's a real, real eye-opener for people. We have we have missionaries that come here, and we have 25 missionaries working on the, the our sanctuary with the shrine this summer, but we also have missionaries that will come in and work with the Little Sisters of the Poor, we have a house here in town, or the missionaries of charity, work with the, the poor on the streets, and, and or even some other places throughout the diocese. But there there's a great need here, and so it, when I think when people come here from places that are so different from Gallup and the surrounding areas, it really is an eye-opener. And, and for many and for many, I think they're surprised to see that it's, it, you almost have third world conditions in some places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, going coming through the pandemic, 
the um, the Navajo reservation, you know, thirty percent of the people don't have running water. And you would think that in the wealthiest, most powerful country in the world, that we wouldn't have thirty percent of a particular population without running water. But that's that's a reality. And and so we have a lot of people that, that that's 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 their day their daily reality. So there's a, there's a great poverty here. Mm-hmm. So it was, because there's a great poverty and a great need, uh, it provides all sorts of opportunities for service. Mm-hmm. The story of the, uh, you, you would recall it better than I, Herb Mosier, uh, told it to me of uh, Mother Teresa when she visited, uh, specifically said that she wanted her missionaries to come here. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you recall any of the details so, yeah, of so that? The, so uh, Bishop Pastorich, uh, my predecessor at Tubac, he invited Mother Teresa and her sisters here in the 1980s, and she came and the decision was made that they would be um, in uh, Gallup, where they are right now, they presently are, and they continue to serve the soup kitchen and the shelter and do wonderful work. Mm-hmm. And as they were returning, they had a tiny little airplane and they were flying back to Phoenix and they flew over uh, a place just south of town. And uh, she said, this, Mother said, this, the sisters will go there. And and there was a bit of a discussion on the airplane about, no, no, mother, the sisters were going to go in Gallup. I mean, how do you argue with the saint? And she goes, no, the sisters will go there. And what she did was um, she pointed out arguably the poorest place in, in on the Navajo Reservation. From, from, she saw it from the airplane. From the airplane. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, if you, you wouldn't see it. I mean, sure. neither one of even the three of us know, know you wouldn't pick it out. Mm-hmm. But she, but she said that's where the goal. She has a heart for the heart for the poor, huh. heart for service, and she mm-hmm. knew that's where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. So the sisters to this day um, still continue to serve in the little little places called Chichilta. Chichilta. We have a little parish down there, mm-hmm. tiny little parish uh, it's, uh, called St. Patrick's. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know she knew that's where they needed to, they needed to go. You hear all sorts of stories about Mother Teresa doing things like that. <laughs> and uh, and we were we were blessed to have one of her. One of our little minor miracles take place in our own diocese. Mm-hmm. When I think of Gallup, and when you know we love it, we love it here. Uh, we've had land here for ten years, wanting to build up on the mountain east of Gallup. And uh, uh, you think of material poverty, um, great material poverty, side by side with with real spiritual wealth. Uh, you mentioned the missionaries of charity are here, little sisters of the poor. It's a strong, a strong diocese, strong presbyterate. Uh, the Benedictines of Clear Creek have recently moved. I had heard talk. I don't know if it's an unfounded rumor, but I had heard talk of the Norbertines being interested in, in the place. I was. It never it can never hurt to ask. <laughs> That's right. I, I hear they have a great problem out there where they have too many <clears throat> too many men, and and I, I can help them yes. with that problem. <laughs> yes. Um, but I was uh, just as a uh, to, as a thought follow-up thought. I was in Santa Fe recently for the uh, to take part in that great novena to La Conquistadora, Our Lady of Peace, and uh, talking with an artist uh, in Santa Fe, many artists, and he said, "Oh, so are you living here?" I said, "Yes." He said, "Where?" I said, "Gallup," and he responded, "Gallup." Um, and it made me think of uh, it made me think of Nathaniel uh, and his comment on on Nazareth and what good can come out sure. of Nazareth. But here you have these two cities, uh, Santa Fe and and Gallup, in the same state with 
the same culture, much of the same history, and yet differences of night and day sure. in terms of wealth. So part of it, part of it for us was providential. Initially, we thought Santa Fe would be a wonderful place for a college. It has a, kind of a national profile. It's a beautiful city artistically. Um, but as we thought and prayed more about it, we said there's something there's something rich and beautiful about doing doing that apostolic work in a place like Gallup rather than Santa Fe. Gallup will always be poor. Mm-hmm. That's not the case with Santa Fe. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, right. And, and, and they both have you know similar histories in terms of being areas where you have in, indigenous populations and you know the Spanish missionaries coming up and evangelizing them and everything. But they're they're very very different in terms of that. You know, Santa Fe being where they have the state capital, the government, and all those, those different things. Mm-hmm. But it, Gallup will always be poor. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's always going to be need and always an opportunity for service. Sure. Yeah. You know what we found though is you know, just from the different areas that we've lived and the different jobs that um, that we've had is is there is a real hardness that can develop in connection with wealth and prosperity, in that people are very comfortable and they don't really see a need for any type of change. Uh, the school will go unnamed, but John was a principal at a wealthy Catholic high school. For, for less than a year, yeah. uh, they had hired him to help to strengthen their Catholic identity. But it was very wealthy. Uh, you drive into the parking lot, you first come into the faculty lot, and there's beat-up Toyotas and Hondas and Fords. Uh, but that's the faculty lot. And in the student lot, there was BMWs sure. and um, <laughs> uh, Maseratis, cars I'd never even heard of that looked absolutely <laughs> beautiful, and that's the student lot. Um, but unfortunately, great great unhappiness in the student body, which you saw manifest through a lot of discipline problems, um, but hearts that were quite unopen to change because they were so comfortable. And so when you look at a place like Gallup, it, it, it's raw. And yeah. we always say there's, there's always blood when we come into downtown Gallup. Fights. Fights of some type. Literally. Little <laughs> fights, right. Uh-huh. Literal blood. And that's not a good thing, but in some sense, those same types of, of battles are going on in these wealthy areas, but you don't see them. They're, they're covered up. Um, and so I, our hope is that coming to and working in a, in a place like Gallup, a place for the poor, that hearts will be softer. They'll be more open to what we have to offer. And we won't encounter the type of intellectual pride that we've seen sure. be the main obstacle that people especially people who are well-educated, um, have towards any real development or, or change. Um, to shift this a little bit towards education itself, one of the reasons, or one of the things that we've observed uh, increasing, not just us, but m- many people, but it's almost like the chatter is increasing in the last few years, and that is this sense that college, as, as we know it, has several, many, many problems. But from a Catholic perspective, it is the Catholic universities and colleges have completely lost their original mission, and they've really drifted simply to being secular places with just the veneer of Catholicism. Sure. Put the crucifix up here, maybe have a chaplain now and then, but the ultimate education, both in the classroom and in the dormitories, is is anti-Catholic. It's very secular in nature, um, and yet they're charging so much money for this education based on reputation, the reputation of these places, 
Um, and students go there uh, because of reputation, and oftentimes they lose their faith, and they come out with a degree that's not marketable, and with a college debt that's that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Um, and so, in our looking at that, it's a huge problem for the Catholic Church in regards to Catholic education to no longer to have fewer and fewer places where where Catholic families can send their children and hope them to be well educated to be well formed in the faith and to come out being able to both get a job and not be so burdened by debt that they're unable, for instance, to, to start a family. And you read more and more how students are, graduates are waiting to start families until their late 20s or early 30s. And one of the reasons is, is student debt. Um, and that's a huge problem. But equally, we see a problem that people dismiss the vocational trade, the vocational route as somehow a secondary choice. Like you told us that story of the person that went to uh, Benedictine and received a Benedictine education and then went on to become a welder. <laughs> and what was, tell, what was the response the to that? It was, it was really interesting because remember when I heard it, I thought, well, that's great. You know, he went to Benedictine, got an excellent education. I think Benedictine is a wonderful school. And he came out and he said, I'm, I'm going to be a welder. I want to go to welding school. And that's, welding's a big thing around here, oil and gas mm -hmm. and all the different things. And um, and some people looked at that as, as a failure, and I mm. thought, no, not mm. really. <laughs> a failure of the person or a failure of Benedictine's education? A failure of the person. A failure of the person. They mm -hmm. saw it, oh, he's not really living up to his, his full potential. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, and I, I, like I said, I'm a big fan of Benedictine College. I think they, they helped him in his four years to understand this is this is what you're yeah. called to. You're called, yeah. you're called to this particular work. Sure. And, um, and so, uh, but to hear, as I said, that the mindset in our culture nowadays would hear somebody like that doing that and saying, well, that's what a waste of four years of school. Yeah. And I would say, no, not really. He, yeah. he got a good education, came out, and it helped him to understand what he was called to do. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think the idea to take it with the college is to kind of marry those two. Yes. Uh, uh, because there was, a, there was a divorce. Yes. And um, yeah. and so is, is to is to marry those two. So somebody like that um, could have easily, you know, gone to school, received a liberal arts education, and at the same time, you know, learned this particular trade that, yeah. that he felt called to, to, to learn to help to provide for his family and, and also uh, you know contribute to society. Our our background educationally, Helen's and mine, obviously are in the great books. We were at Hillsdale at Wyoming Catholic, and um, and the great books provide a, a wonderful education. But we look back historically half century or so, and there's, there's the beginning of this strained relationship between the manual and practical arts mm -hmm. on the one hand, and the intellectual or academ academic. And you, you saw it first in the high schools with the division between the vocational and the academic track but that's only solidified and calcified in recent decades. And our, our thought is that this, the radical, that, that divorce, that radical separation between those two realms have ended up impoverishing both. Yeah. And what I mean by that is on the academic side, a removal from the practical arts, from working with one's hands, from, from the skills required to operate a business, um, you you end up with potentially with people academics who are very very far removed from 
from the real, you know, the real world, as they say. And, and that's, that's historical. You, uh, Euripides jokes about you know, Socrates being in the clouds. He, of course, he wasn't. He was very practical. So that's on one side. And with that, sometimes the, the growth of a kind of intellectual pride or a, a separation from the world. And then on the other side, a, a manual work, of, a life of manual work, increasingly divorced from things of beauty and culture. Yeah. And, and then a, a division between these two worlds. And because the, the academic world often looks down their noses at manual work, which explains perhaps the attitude towards yeah. your friend who became a welder, the people who are manual workers see that, sense it, and then react or overreact, and there's a dismissal of you know, book learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, it's almost as you know the extremes. Yeah. If you take a look at it, it's like in one sense one group looks at the other as a finishing school. Yes. And the other group looks at the others as a bunch of knuckle draggers. That's right. <laughs> and, exactly. and that's just not neither way. Neither is good. Exactly. And um, uh, because yeah, because you see you see that divorce and the you know the, the further and further they grow apart these. It, these these kind of caricatures become more and more extreme, <laughs> yeah. and they're they're ridiculous, absolutely yeah. ridiculous. And the and each of those pursuits has its own set of virtues, um, distinct from the other, and and combined or an education that includes both um, ends up strengthening virtues that the other that the other uh, population doesn't have. Yeah. No. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, we had a great story. We we're starting to do fundraising, of course, and we need we need money. I'm always comforted by the the quote from Mother Teresa that God has lots of money because we don't. <laughs> but um, so uh, interesting anecdote. Uh, our first contribution, effectively in Lincoln, I was getting the truck taken in before the trip down here, and went to a mechanic shop. Uh, a Vietnamese gentleman who'd come out as a 15-year-old from Vietnam on a boat. A real American success story. He has his own shop now, five or six mechanics working for him, including his sons. So he asked me, why why are you moving to New Mexico? And I told him about Katiri College. And he he was intrigued. And instead of sending one of his workers to pick me up at work when the car was completed, he came himself. He showed up in his truck. Obviously, he wanted to talk more about the college and questions and curiosity. And at, at a certain point, I said, well, well, how much do I owe you? And he said, well, uh, time and plugs and everything, maybe $400. And then he paused and said, but I want that to be my first contribution to this college. And he said, uh, he said, maybe when I retire, I can come and be a janitor. I said, janitor? You could, you could be a professor of automotive science. Exactly. So, and his <laughs> eyes lit up. You know? But uh, I thought it was significant and providential and encouraging that our first contribution, as it were, came from a, a, a mechanic. Yeah, and you, you, I mean, you, shared the, you shared the vision of the school, and, and there's a need. And it moved this this gentleman's heart, and 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 he, he contributed, which which in his own way, which was awesome. So hopefully, the, uh, the more and more we share the story, the more and more people 
will uh, will contribute in their own way. And yes, you know, as you said, you know, we don't have any money, but you know, and <laughs> there's lots of people that have money in their pockets. We just need to get right. it out of their pockets <laughs> into our school. That's right. Yeah. I That's know we need to wrap this up for your schedule, but just the last question for you: What do you hope the foundation of such a college in Gallup? Uh, can do for the diocese? Um, I, th- I, I wanted to, well, to provide an opportunity for, for higher education in the truest sense, higher education that touches the entire person. You know, that's something that we have that we can offer that not many places can. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a good Christian anth- anthropology understanding of who man is. And, um, and so I'm, I'm hoping that it can be a place where young people following high school or maybe a few years after high school um, can come, be educated, and um, learn how it is that they're in, in the future, how they're going to fit into society and help be productive members of society too. We just need more and more and more of that. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the one thing. But, you know, first and foremost, that it's Catholic. Mm-hmm. That's, we, have, we, we, we can offer that, not other people. Others can't offer that. <laughs> and uh, we talk about, you know, the difficulty with as you mentioned, it's some some people will send their children off to a, a Catholic uh, institution of higher learning, and sadly they'll either grow luke or com- lukewarm, or they'll fall away from their mm-hmm. faith. Yeah. And I know that there's not a single Catholic parent that sends their child off to a Catholic school and says, "I hope that happens." <laughs> I hope my child loses. Yeah, the faith. and I, I, you, I, you just hear these heartbreaking stories about that. And so, I want our place, the school, Tekel with it, to be a place where that doesn't happen where they come and they, they're only strengthening their faith because, you know, what does our faith offer us? Faith offers us eternal life. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the name of the game. So that's what I hope it, that's what I hope it, it turns out to be. Wonderful. Well, we will strive, we'll strive for that with uh, with how we found it and how, how it is administered um, and the outreach that will encourage for the students, the students who come. And this is, I, I hope, the first of maybe several conversations that we can have over time um, just need to invite me for coffee. And yes. Come over and the USS <laughs> Yeah, this is fun. I wish everybody could see this. <laughs> we'll send some, we'll get some pictures up. Well, I think we even heard the dogs barking. And my, we had my dogs probably, people are going to wonder where that noise came from. Right that's, next to my house. That's right. And uh, my, my, uh, one of my dogs was barking during all this. She wanted to get her two cents in. That's great. <laughs> would you, uh, would you, uh, Say a prayer. For sure, the, for absolutely. Let's give a blessing to you and to our listeners. May the Lord, in His love and mercy, through the intercession of Saint Kateri Tikkakwitha, bless you and bless all of our leaders and our listeners, so that all that we do would be to the greater glory of God's name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you, much. Bishop. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you.